So it's Psalm 125 and the whole Psalm, verses 1 to 5. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. Well, as we begin, let me lead us in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this psalm. We thank you that these are your eternal and certain words. We pray that you would enable me to speak clearly and faithfully, and we pray that you would speak into each of our hearts this evening as we look at your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What makes you feel safe and secure? For our two-year-old daughter, it's these two fingers on her left hand, her special blanket, and being cuddled up in her mum's arms. For all of us, we look for security in different places, whether that's in our possessions, our savings, in our relationships and friendships, in our job, in our abilities, in our sophisticated burglar alarms and double locks. Wherever it is that we look for security, we all have within us a desire and a yearning for security, to feel safe. And when our security is shaken, it's deeply unsettling. If our house is burgled, the emotions we feel arise not just from the fact that some of our possessions have been taken, but it's the fact that someone was able to come in and take them. The fact that our security, when it mattered, was found wanting. So too in relationships, when trust is broken, when our friend is not there when we need them most, something that felt so secure now feels anything but. And these last few months, have been such uncertain times. So much of what has seemed secure has been shaken. And it's deeply, deeply unsettling. Because we need a security that we can trust and depend on. And that's what we're going to see this evening from Psalm 125. We're going to see the steadfast security that our trustworthy and dependable God gives to all those who trust in Jesus. Now, before we dive into the psalm, let's just get our bearings, as it's been a few weeks since we were last in the psalms. We're in a series looking at the Songs of Ascent. That's the name given to the psalms from Psalm 120 through to 134. 
And these were psalms sung by God's people as they journeyed up to Jerusalem for the three big festivals in the Jewish calendar, where they celebrated God's salvation, God's rescue and deliverance of them. So these psalms were the psalms that would have accompanied them on that journey. They were, if you like, the the mixtape or the soundtrack to that journey to Jerusalem. And these 15 psalms are grouped into groups of three, and they tend to follow a similar pattern within each of those three. The first psalm in the set of three, it talks of the pilgrims facing difficulties on that journey. Then the second psalm is one of assurance about a good and powerful God. And then the third is about the safety and goodness of the destination. And Psalm 125, that fits into one of the, that third category. And it, the focus is on God's security for his people. Now, as we look at these Psalms, as we think of those pilgrims heading up to Jerusalem, we remember too that that was a journey that Jesus made. And as he made that journey for the final time, knowing that he was heading up to Jerusalem, knowing his time had come, knowing he was going to be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, that he was going to be unjustly condemned to death on a Roman cross, as he made that journey, it may well have been these words that were on his lips. And because Jesus made that journey, because he willingly gave his life on the cross to save sinners like us, because by trusting in him we can become part of God's family, we can, as God's people, sing these psalms, celebrating God's salvation of us as we journey towards the new Jerusalem, to our eternal home, where we will be with Jesus for all eternity. So let's turn to Luke now at the psalm. It will help if you've got uh, the words of the psalm in front of you. And if you've got a service sheet, you'll see that we have uh, three headings to work through this evening. And the first of them is God's steadfast security from verses 1 and 2. The steadfast security that God gives to his people. And as we look at the psalm, I want us to grasp just how astonishing and indescribable and complete the security that God gives his people is and how much we need to hear that in our day-to-day lives now. So our psalm begins with these words. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. Those who trust in the Lord The object of the people's trust is not Mount Zion, it's not Jerusalem, it's not the place, but it's the Lord. And we see it's Lord capitalized in our Bibles, denoting Yahweh, the name that God gives himself in the Old Testament. This is trust not in some vague notion of God, but in a specific God, the one true God that we see in the Bible. True faith starts not with places or things, but with the living God. So what does it mean to trust him, to trust in the Lord? 
It means to take him at his word, to believe that what he says is true, that what he has promised to do, he will do. To trust him is to surrender our life to him, knowing that there is no safer place to be, to place all our hopes in him for this life and the life to come. And he is absolutely trustworthy, absolutely dependable. He is a God who keeps his promises, who is completely faithful. And so the question that this psalm is asking us straight away is, is this talking about you? Are you one who trusts in the Lord? The question God is asking each of us is, do you trust me? The question is not, do you trust the man behind this lectern? The question is not, do you trust the church? It is God himself, the God who made you, the God who loves you, the God who sent his son to die for you, the God who's made himself known in the pages of the Bible saying, do you trust me? Do you take me at my word? Now, if you've never pondered that question before, or if you'd like to talk through with someone, what does it really mean to trust in the Lord? That's something we'd love to chat further with you, so please do get in touch, and we can talk through what that means. But what of those who trust in him? Well, these opening verses, they use two mountain metaphors to describe, firstly, those trusting in the Lord, and secondly, the protection that God gives to those trusting in him. So firstly, from verse 1, we read, Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. Those trusting in the Lord are compared to a mountain. And not just any mountain, but Mount Zion, the mount on which Jerusalem was built, the home of God's king. Now, if you think of Ben Nevis or the Cairngorms, or if you want to think bigger, think of the Alps or Mount Everest, what's the image? It's an image of something immovable, something enduring. They're not going to go anywhere anytime soon. If you think of the Pentlands, how they have stood at the southern edge of Edinburgh down through the centuries... Think of all the turmoil and change that there's been. Empires and kingdoms coming and going. And yet they have remained steadfast. They have remained there. They've endured. And that's the point here. Those who are trusting in Jesus are secure. In him we endure. We are like little mini mobile mountains. And then verse 2 expands the imagery to show God's protection of his people. It says, As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. Now, while I hope this is not the only thing you take away this evening, here's a quick geography lesson of Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is built on a hill or on Mount Zion, and that hill is surrounded by a ring of higher mountains. 
And as the pilgrims journeyed up to Jerusalem, they would have seen this ring of mountains encircling Jerusalem. And what the psalmist is trying to do is to bring that to mind and to say, in the same way, God is surrounding and protecting his people. It's a picture of complete and total security. And it's not time-limited. Did you notice in both verses 1 and 2, they emphasize that these things are not temporary, but forever. Verse 1, it abides forever. Verse 2, from this time forth and forevermore. These are eternal guarantees. They are not time-limited. Eternal guarantees from the Lord God Almighty. We are eternally secure. And that's the glorious reality for those who are trusting in Jesus. The steadfast security that he gives us. That we are immovable and enduring like a mountain. And safely surrounded and protected by God for all eternity. So what does this steadfast security actually mean in practice? If we think back to Mark 13 that we looked at this morning, we see we're to expect suffering and hardship and persecution and opposition in this life. But we have the certainty of eternal life. We have the certainty that our sins have been forgiven in Jesus and the certainty that nothing will happen to us outside of God's sovereign plan. It means that for as long as God has work for us to do here on earth, nothing can touch us. And when he's decided it's time for us to go and to be with him in glory, nothing can delay it. And how can we be sure this is true? Because of Jesus. Because of the reality of his death, his resurrection and his ascension into heaven. Think how secure Jesus is in his reign in the heavenly realm and then see how secure you are in him. Our lives are in his hands and there is no safer or better place to be. But still sometimes we can find it hard to trust, to believe that this steadfast security is ours we feel more like a mountain of jelly than a mountain of granite. That surrounding ring of protective mountains can seem hidden by the clouds. We question whether God is really there, whether we are trusting enough. But the question is not the strength of your trust, but the strength and trustworthiness of the one you are trusting in. So listen to the words of Jesus. Listen to the words of the one you are trusting in. Remembering that he is secure. He's seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. These are the words he said, describing those trusting in him as his sheep. From John 10. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out 
of the Father's hand. As the great J.R. Packer, who passed away a few weeks ago, he put it like this. He said, your faith will not fail while God sustains it. You are not strong enough to fall away while God is resolved to hold you. In Christ, we have a steadfast security. And I think just a very practical, very simple application of this. The psalmist uses these mountain images because he wants to lodge the point in our minds. So as we, tr- as we head around Edinburgh, as we see the Pentlands, as we see Carlton Hill or Blackford Hill or the Crags or Arthur's Seat, let them bring to mind this psalm and let them point your mind to Jesus in whom you are as enduring as those hills. Now, in some ways, it would be great if the psalm ended there. It would mean we'd probably had the first sub-15-minute sermon at Chalmers for many, many years. And we'd all be left with that wonderful and uplifting vision of the steadfast security that God gives to all those who trust in Jesus. But the psalm doesn't end there because the Bible's wonderfully realistic. And verse 3 takes us to the reality of life here and now and shows us how our steadfast security strengthens us on this earthly journey. So our second point, temporary temptations. Look with me at verse 3. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. As the pilgrims arrived in Jerusalem, something was wrong. They found themselves in a situation where evil apparently has the upper hand. The scepter or the rule of the wickedness was over the land. Now, we don't know what the specific context that the psalmist had in mind here. It could have been the foreign occupations by the Assyrians or the Babylonians, or it could even have just been life under one of Israel's own kings who so often seem to be trying to outdo each other in their wickedness. But whatever the situation is, in each of these times, wicked were reigning and God's faithful people were suffering. And that's still true today. In many parts of the world, the state is hostilely opposed to Christians. The 50,000-plus Christians who are imprisoned in North Korean labor camps. The countless Christians around the world who face persecution and discrimination because of their faith. They know all about living under the scepter of wickedness. Even this week as I was preparing, an email came through about one of our global mission partners in a creative access country with the news that following a court hearing the NGO she works for is being closed down. Let's be praying for these situations and let's recognize these are the realities of living life under the scepter of wickedness. And while we must be careful not to equate the situation we find ourselves in in Scotland to those of our brothers and sisters around the world, we should recognize that we live in a country 
where the dominant cultural view is increasingly detached from a biblical Christian view, and that those who advocate the biblical position on issues such as abortion, euthanasia, and sexuality find themselves increasingly marginalized and subject to hostility. So what does the psalm have to say about living life under the scepter of wickedness? It tells us first that the reign of the wicked is temporary. Look again at verse 3. The scepter of wickedness shall not rest. It will not last. And the contrast with verses 1 and 2 is striking, isn't it? Our security... God's protection of us is everlasting. The reign of the wicked is temporary. It's an encouragement to endure, to keep going, knowing that Christ will keep you secure until he returns in glory to judge. And secondly, the psalm tells us that the danger, the danger of living surrounded by wickedness is temptation. In a way, it's quite striking, isn't it? What the psalmist picks up on is, as the danger for God's people in that situation, it isn't the persecution or the suffering, but the temptation that they will be influenced by the culture around them and so stretch out their hand to do wrong. And that's a real risk for each of us, to give up the fight against sin to become wearied by fighting against temptation. And if we're honest, we've all been there in one way or another. We've chosen and known we were choosing the ease of sinful compromise over the battle of faithful obedience. As schools go back this week, these are tough environments to be a Christian student. The shame, the mocking, the loss of friends. The temptation is there not to stand up for Jesus, to decide it's not worth the hassle. For Christian students going to university next month, they will find themselves in a context with a whole range of temptations and seeking to live a distinctive Christian life in the face of those temptations will be hard, especially when the world around them is telling them you're missing out. For Christians in the workplace, if being seen as a Christian or seeking to live out a Christian life in the workplace is likely to reduce your success or limit your career progressions, the temptation to compromise will be there. Because for each of us, in different ways, we face numerous situations week by week where we'll face the temptation to betray faithfulness to God in the face of the culture around us. We face it as individuals, and we face it corporately as a church. When the heat comes on, do we stand firm in seeking in Christ's strength to remain obedient to him? Or do we give in to temptation to compromise and fit in with the culture around us? This psalm speaks to us in those situations. When we're tempted to give up being distinctive and instead conform to the world and our sinful desires, 
It reminds us of Jesus. It reminds us of the eternal security that we have in him. It reminds us that the reign of the wicked is temporary and that victory ultimately belongs to Jesus. And through that, it strengthens us in the strength of the Spirit to stand firm for Jesus in this world. And do not doubt in those times that God surrounds you, surrounds us with his protective arms. 1 Corinthians 10 says, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, when a new James Bond film comes out, before you've seen it, before you've read any reviews about it, what do you know will happen and what do you know won't happen? Well, we know that at some point, James Bond is going to find himself in a pretty hopeless situation. But we also know that he won't die because James Bond never dies in James Bond films. There's always miraculously a way of escape that opens up at the last minute and out he goes. And so with us, when we feel our situation is hopeless, when we feel too weak, when we feel that compromise is inevitable, remember that God will provide the way of escape that you will be able to endure it. So depend on him and pray to him in those situations. And fittingly, that's where the psalm ends. It ends in prayer. And that's our third point, prayerful progression. Look with me at verses four and five. These are a prayer and they say, do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with the evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. It's a prayer that God will do what God has promised to do. To be good to those trusting in Jesus, who are seeking to live for him in a wicked world. And verse 5 is sobering, isn't it? In Matthew 24, which is the parallel passage in Matthew's gospel to Mark 13 that we looked at this morning, Jesus says these words, And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Not all those who call themselves Christians will choose the path of faithfulness. Sadly, and with tragic consequences, some turn away from God's way completely because they want to fit in. But you see, by the end of the psalm, we've arrived at peace. But we've arrived there not by compromise, but by the only road that leads to it, the the way of righteousness, God's way. 
It's not an easy way, but it is the right way. And that's why we need to pray. Firstly, let's pray in God's promises. That's what the psalmist is doing here. Praying that he will do what he has promised to do. It's a wonderful way of expressing our trust and our dependence on his promises. It's a wonderful way of embedding those promises in our hearts to open our Bible and pray in God's promises. And let's be praying for our brothers and sisters around the world, facing temptation, seeking to live for Christ under the scepter of wickedness. Pray that God will protect them and enable them to endure as he has promised. And let's pray for ourselves. Where is the temptation particularly acute for you at the moment? Bring those situations to God in prayer. Ask for his help and his strength. And in those times when you give in to temptation, turn back to him. Seek his forgiveness in the confidence that your sins are forgiven in Christ. And let's pray for each other. These songs of ascent, they would have been sung collectively by the pilgrims as they journeyed up to Jerusalem. They were a means of encouraging one another and spurring one another on, on that difficult journey. And that's why we need to be doing the same, encouraging and spurring one another on in the church family. Small groups are a great way of doing that. And wouldn't it be great if each of us felt increasingly able to share, perhaps with one or two others in the church family, where we're feeling tempted, where we're struggling, and then bringing those things to God in prayer together. We began with the question, what makes you feel safe and secure? This psalm tells us that God offers a steadfast security to all those who are trusting in Jesus Christ. It's a security on offer to anyone who trusts in Jesus. So can I urge you, if you are not yet trusting in Jesus, to turn to him and to trust in him. The Christian life is not an easy life, but it is a life lived with the most incredible steadfast security. If you are trusting in Christ, you are completely secure. You are like a mountain surrounded by mountains. So take heart. Keep fighting temptation in the Lord's strength. The temptations and the scepter of wickedness are temporary. They will pass, but you in Christ are secure and will endure forever. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he is seated at your right hand. We thank you that he died that we might be eternally secure in him. We thank you for that absolute and steadfast security that you have given us, that you protect us and will keep us through this life and bring us into your new creation for all eternity. Lord, guard and strengthen us. Keep us trusting in you and living for you. 
Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.